Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony, and I'm your host. With over a decade in the local church, I care deeply and passionately about helping you connect with Jesus in practical ways. Today's conversation was so much fun. Joel Malm is, uh, well, you're going to hear him. He talks about what his calling is in his life, and he says it in a really simply and beautiful way. He says his calling is to stop unnecessary suffering and find meaning in necessary suffering. I absolutely love that thought process. I love his perspective. He and I connected really well on this podcast. I think you're going to find a ton of help in it. And if you do, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify. In addition to Joel's calling, the way he lives that out is he's a speaker and author, and he currently runs a retreat center uh, in Texas. And as we recorded this conversation, the there was a snowpocalypse happening. So we talk a little bit about that in the beginning. Again, I think you're going to love Joel, and, uh, and I just want to encourage you to pick up his latest resource, Connecting the Dots. Now, Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Joel Mom. Joel, welcome to the podcast. It's such an honor and a privilege to be with you today. You're in Texas right now in the middle of the snowpocalypse. How's your family holding up? We're doing good. We live out in the country. We just built a retreat center out here. I'm actually in one of the cabins right now. Uh, it's be the quietest place around. So um, we, I, we're, we've got everything ready with generators and gas gas powered everything. So we're good to go. I love it. I love it. Well, I, I'm really excited to jump into your story and your latest resource connecting the dots. Uh, before I do that, I, I love to kind of get a macro perspective. And so I'm, I'm kind of curious, how would you describe the calling that God has placed on your life? You've done a lot of things over the years and just built this retreat center and you've done adventure, you've done all the things, but how would you kind of um, summarize this call? Yeah, so I would say it comes down to two things. Uh, my kind of my two major callings are live with perspective, live with wisdom. And I kind of describe it simply this way. Um, stop unnecessary suffering and find meaning in necessary suffering. So there's some suffering we just create because we need a little wisdom. And when we've got it, we're like, oh, and when I do this, I get this. So I love learning about those kind of principles that God's put into place. But then there's also some suffering in Acts, I wish the verse wasn't in there, but it says, through much suffering, we enter the kingdom of God. And when Paul says, we rejoice in our suffering, for suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. So uh, I really think there's certain suffering, it's necessary suffering. Like, I wish, I wish we got to, you know, through many donuts, we enter the kingdom of heaven, <laughs> but it's through much suffering. <laughs> so uh, I, how do you find meaning in it? So that's actually what the book I just wrote is literally about. It's stuff I coach people through is how do you find meaning in every season of life? God has been leading you, but you probably just couldn't see it at the time. Life is lived forward, but can only be understood looking backwards. Yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit more about suffering because it's just so uplifting. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've experienced suffering in my life, as I'm sure all of us have, all of you know, the podcast family. And um, I never thought to myself in the middle of my suffering, this is unnecessary suffering. Um, how do you identify in the throes of the pain that you're in if this is necessary or unnecessary suffering? 
Yeah, that, that's a hard one. So, um, well, one, I, I believe that's what, you know, when Jesus, right before he left the earth, he says, guys, there's a whole lot more I'd like to reveal to you, but basically you can't handle the truth, right? So I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. He's gonna guide you into all truth. And I think one of the humbling parts of walking with the Holy Spirit is, is always realizing there's always more to know. So in every situation, I think part of the beauty of suffering is it forces us to look back to him and go, hey, is this something, it's the Job question. You know, Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible, which I think reveals a lot. People have been asking the question you just asked for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, hey, and you know, some of his friends are like, Job, bro, you must have hidden sin in your life. And Job's like, I don't think I do. And you, know, you caused this because of your sin, you know? And, then, and it's that real complex question, those, those disciples where they're like, who sinned that this guy was born blind? And Jesus is like, ain't nobody sinned. This was so the glory of God could be revealed. And another verse, which wasn't in there, that messes with my the- theology. Hmm. I think it's a perpetual wrestling we have to do with God and going, God, is this something? Now, obviously, when you sin, <laughs> the way of the transgressor is hard, it says in Proverbs. Uh, there's certain suffering that just through sin and not understanding how the world works, we get it. You know, the borrower is slave to the lender. That's, That's right. a principle. It says, it doesn't say don't take out a loan. It just says, when you take out a loan, you will be in slavery. So. That's the tricky part of it, but I think humility is just constantly saying, Lord, is this something I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to, I, I could have avoided, or, uh, or is this part of something you're working through me? And the really complex part about it is, in the end, even the stuff we create, uh, my, my mentor used to tell me, Joel, God has already accounted for your stupidity in the plan. Mm. So I think somewhere in there, he always manages to pull out a win, but man, we can make it a lot harder in the process. And that's where I say the stop unnecessary suffering is, is like, how do, I, how do I learn some of the principles he's put in place? But it's a perpetual struggle, because I mean, I, I got melanoma last year, right? Right in the middle of this crazy stuff, finishing a book, building a retreat center. Um, and I'm asking myself, you know, with the doctors, like, it's all random. And I'm like, well, what did I do, you know? And, I don't know. Uh, it's, it just becomes a mystery, you know? And um, thankfully the Lord healed me of it. It is a miraculous healing, but uh, I go, what do I need to do to not have that happen again? And the doctor's like, it's totally random. I'm like, I, I just refuse to believe it's totally random, but I don't know. So, <laughs> I, one, of, one of my mentors always says, well, Tony, it's just the epistemic consequence of sin. Like we live in a broken world with broken people mm-hmm. and it's just broken. And I'm like, well, that's dumb. I, I need a better answer than that. <laughs> I need an answer. That's right. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I hear as, as I hear you talk about your relationship with the Lord is uh, you have, it seems like you, you're just drenched in scripture. I, I love to get to people's daily disciplines. What, what are some of the things that you do daily to stay connected and to stay um, cognizant of of what's the Holy Spirit and what's the burrito you ate the night before? Yeah, so I, um, I am convinced that there are seasons in your spiritual walk with God and each season requires a different discipline. Mm. Um, there was a time in my 20s when my discipline, I literally, I prayed for an hour a day. Um, Howell can't do that anymore. I have tried and tried and tried, and I just get frustrated with myself. So I'm like, all right, Lord, clearly this ain't happening. 
what do we need to do here? So right now what my discipline looks like is um, tip, well, it's weird. Here's another thing about seasons, right? It's funny because that's what Connecting the Dots is about. It's about recognizing what stage you are in, an, in each season of life. And right now I'm in a season where like God, I feel like God wakes me up at 3 a.m. and I'll have a bunch of clarity. And I've learned if I don't get up and start just pounding away at my computer. So for me right now, prayer looks like writing. Hmm. Um, uh, I, I kind of figure out what I'm, what's going on in my heart and mind through writing. And for some reason, I mean, right now that works. Um, I wouldn't have, earlier in my walk, that wouldn't have been the key, the answer to it. And I know some people aren't, that's not, that's not what works for them. But I, for me, when I feel like I've got some clarity on something, because clarity's rare these days, I don't let that moment pass. I jump out of bed and I just start writing and, uh, Prayer, I think prayer looks like writing for me right now. Every morning I read uh, one kind of classic. So right right now I'm reading a book uh, by Gregory of Nyssa, uh, who's big big hot name in pop Christianity. Um, nobody's ever heard of him, but uh, Gregory of Nyssa. And then um, I, read, uh, I read my Bible obviously with it. And oftentimes these great works, you know, they kind of come at an angle from the Bible. And then I go read that passage. Uh, and then I usually read some sort of, you know, current you know the hot thing everyone's reading so uh uh like I, i'm going back through right now jordan peterson's uh, beyond order yeah so I, I love kind of your idea about seasons one of the questions that i wrestle with myself is how do i know when it's time to change the season i was curious if you had any thoughts on like uh like when is the right time to shift how, how do you know when you're going from winter to spring or spring to fall or whatever? yeah yeah, so great question. It's like you're setting me up for talking about my book uh, <laughs> because I, I, you know, I don't, I can't change the snowstorm. Yeah, uh, you don't get to change it. You have to embrace it. And uh, my my basic premise in the book is this: that in every season of life, there's about nine stages, and you'll know when it happens, right? So the first thing that happens when a season's about to change is there's a turning point. Sometimes it's something you were calculating for. The baby was born. Uh, the move across the country. Sometimes it's something you asked for. Sometimes it's something that was totally unasked for, like a melanoma diagnosis. Mm. Um, but the season starts to shift, right? Uh, and I, when, when I was young, we moved to Central America. And within about three weeks of being there, we lived in Guatemala. Uh, we woke up, and it was my first experience as an earthquake. And the house was just shaking. We all ran out into the street. Well, over the next few days, we had a series of earthquakes, and the volcanoes just started going nuts. So there's this haze in the sky. It's dark. It's like you can't even see the sun. The ground is shaking, and I freak, I'm freaking out. I'm like okay. 11 years old. I tell this missionary there, I'm like, I, did we move here at the end of the world? He goes, no. He goes, that always happens when a season changes. Guatemala has two seasons, a rainy season and a dry season. So when we're about to shift, the ground starts to shake. The sky gets a little cloudy and hazy with, with volcanic ash. It's just a season change. And I realized that's kind of a picture of every season change. Mm. Your ground beneath your feet starts to shake. You don't usually get to choose the adventure. The adventure chooses you. Um, the choice you have when a season changes, is, am I going to embrace it? Uh, or am I going to, you know, like King Solomon, he says, um, don't ask why were the former days better than today, for it's not from wisdom that you ask such things. And I think sometimes we, life has changed, but we're still trying to cling to the last season we were in. And, and you just make yourself miserable. In, in the book, I compare it to a guy, oh, Tarzan swinging through the jungle. Like, if he hangs on to the vine that's been tried and true and, be, and doesn't let go, 
and grab the next vine which he hasn't tested yet, he's just gonna be hanging there dangling in the jungle between two vines like a fool. You have to at some point let go and move into the next stage to forward movement and life kind of forces you into it. I mean, I think we can cling and hang on and but we just get bitter and upset if we try and hang on too, too long. So that, well, that was a very long answer to the question. How do you know when it's time for a season to change? Um, I think the season changes on you and your decision is, is it like, am I gonna embrace this new season change? Cause it's gonna move forward with or without you. Well, one of the things that I see a lot in your content is this idea about looking forward and about like kind of reaching out to grab that next vine sort of thing. Um, and then I, I kind of see it in, and your practices, you're building this retreat center, and you, you kind of used to do, correct me if I'm wrong, but expeditions, like spiritual expeditions. And, and so, mm-hmm. so it's in my head, right? Like, uh, and maybe I'm over-theologizing this, which is a tendency I have sometimes, but like you've gone from a, a ascending ministry where you send people out to now you're kind of a gathering ministry where you're bringing people in. How did you, how, how did you know that this was the direction that God was calling you towards in terms of like, this is obviously a looking forward moment for you with these retreat centers. And yet mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's almost completely different. It's like a, a, a very different vibe than what you were doing. Yeah. Well, once again, life dictated the terms. Uh, about seven years ago, our daughter came into the world and I started realizing I can't be gone for nine weeks of the year climbing Mount mm-hmm. Kilimanjaro or... <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget <laughs> my, my wife. She just kind of got used to me being gone. And when we were just us, you know, and uh, she would, I would tell her I'd be gone for a certain amount of time. I remember when she was pregnant, um, we were in the Grand Canyon. And I told her I'd be out of touch for seven days. We were rafting the canyon. About three days in, she's like, I haven't heard from Joelle. And so she had to get on my website to figure out where I was and when I would be getting back. And I was like, this is not going to work sustainable. So one of the first shifts is I cut back on the trips when my daughter was born, just knowing that we needed to do that. And then the second shift was during COVID, the whole world shut right. down. And I was like, I need a place where people can come to us. You know, COVID was a major turning point. I talked about those turning points for a lot of people. It kind of jolted them out of what their pattern was. And I realized we needed our own place. So we ended up buying 16 acres out here in the hill country of Texas and, uh, just started building our own thing. So I still do the outdoor adventures. In fact, I got three trips this year. Um, we'll be doing, we've got a hike to Machu Picchu. Uh, we've got a hike through Israel in the footsteps of Jesus. And then we have a hike in Maine. So we still do those, but now it's kind of more people coming here. And um, another thing I do is I, I coach a lot of pastors and kind of help them through challenging times. And so this is a great place they can come and hang out and escape to. I see over and over again in your story that, uh, the importance of these like, uh, intentional relationships, um, how have you kind of built those in your life? And, and I mean, you, you've obviously created a, a calling out of that in terms of pouring into other people's lives kind of help me understand kind of your theology around intentional relationships and anybody who listens to the podcast know that I love to talk about disciple making and this is kind of what this feels like. So can you kind of uh, share with us your heart on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my, I have always had a, a very tight inner circle and that formed um, in my teens. Thank God. It, I've, I was talking to a guy last night. It's very hard to form that inner circle after your twenties. I don't know why that is. Um, I've just watched this pattern in people's life that the people that really go far tended to build the tightest relationships in their early 20s or late teens. 
So I have an inner circle. I have some mentors, the people I talk about in that book, Connecting the Dots, David and Karen, the ones that dragged me down to that horrible experience in Mexico. That was all their fault. But they have been lifelong mentors of mine. I met them in high school. Uh, there's a statistic, I think the Baptist put it out recently, that one of the long-term kids that stay in church and have their own relationship with God, uh, one of the consistent patterns that they've seen is one of the three things that they have is one of the things they have is, is an adult outside of their parents who connected with them before they turned age 16 wow. and started leading them on their spiritual walk. And so they were that for me. David and Karen have been forever. Whenever I write a book, I send it immediately to Karen. And she, if she doesn't like it, she tells me. <laughs> so I'm, with, I'm on the phone with them every week. Uh, my, my friend, Wes, my best friend, Wes Peterson, like I've known him since high school. And uh, he told me once, he said, you know, if you wouldn't have pursued this relationship in college, I probably would have just kind of checked out because mm. he's like, I was just, life was busy. But he said, you know, you intentionally pursued it. And he's like, I'm so glad you did that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the better friend in this relationship. I know that. But uh, uh, <laughs> I have one friend who calls it the reacher. I'm the reacher here. I'm the reacher. Yeah. There, there tends to be one that kind of like, because there's just some, I had a friend one time and we were tight, man. He's like, look, I'm about to get deployed to, to you know the Middle East, I'm horrible at keeping in touch. So this is probably goodbye forever. I was like, what? We have phones, man. Like what in the world? And the crazy part about it is my inner circle for years, because I grew up in Guatemala and I met all these people in Guatemala, they've been scattered to the four winds. Mm. Another guy in my inner circle right now, he's in Egypt. Um, so I've got these group of about five people that I'm in touch with at least once every one to two weeks. And we just talk about what's going on in each other's lives. Um, and they, it's funny, they'll notice if I, if I haven't posted a blog, I post a, I send out an email every Monday morning. If I haven't sent an email for like two weeks, I'll, two or three of them will write and be like, you okay? I've noticed there's not like three weeks without an email. It's like, oh yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool having that. You know, I think, I think the challenge with discipleship is like, I mean, who wants people in your business? Yeah. Until you want people in your business. That's right. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, I don't want, you know, people checking up on me, but then you want people checking up on you, but you don't get people checking up on you until you've allowed people to check up on you. So, yeah. And the hard part is right. Like, uh, nobody knows that you need somebody checking up on you until you didn't have someone checking up on you and you almost blew up your whole life. <laughs> precisely. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> you, you mentioned that you coach a lot of pastors, um, you know, pastoral burnout's real and, and I've, I have experienced this myself as in the local church for 10 years and then now I'm in parachurch because I, I just, honestly, I just needed a breather uh, for a lot of various reasons. W what are some of the things that you're seeing in the pastors that you're coaching and as they come to, uh, as you come to know their story more and more, what are, what are some of the trends that you see in the church? I'm just, this is a me question more than it is for my audience because I'm so curious about it. Yeah, well, I mean, COVID did did pastors in. Uh, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, a lot of them, it showed that they were just, they weren't as strong as they thought they were or they were in it for the wrong reasons. Um, I was talking to a worship pastor the other day and he's like, I did not realize how badly I needed the congregation out there for my affirmation until COVID when I'm mm. singing, singing to a TV camera <laughs> for seven months, you know? Uh, and I, I think, I mean, struggles reveal what's in our heart, you know, it, it, and, and I think for a lot of guys that they realize that they were in it for the wrong reasons or, uh, the other challenge is just people, people be crazy, man. Like God bless them. But 
Just the a, a past. It was a no-win situation for pastors during COVID. Like, if you shut down the church, you're compromising to the government. If you keep the church open, you're endangering the old people, right? So I watched this this one church. This I won't name the denomination, but they're Baptist, and it was. Um, the pastor's like, we got to shut it down. We have a lot of senior citizens. So the younger people started meeting at one of the elders' <clears throat> houses, uh, and they would watch the live stream from the elders' house. Well, the board, the pastor got upset about it, and he said, you're starting a separate church. And he's like, we're watching your message. And he's like, no, you're trying to split the church. And they're like, but we're watching your message at my house. Nope. We either all gather together with me overseeing it or not. And I'm like, that guy didn't last. He, he wa- washed out, you know? Sure. But it was, it's been interesting. I, I think I feel bad for some of them, but for some of them, I'm like, you, this is actually good for you because you needed to see what was really going on in your heart. And um, yeah, I, people all the time are like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I had a guy the other night, he wrote me this crazy, drunk, angry text. Yeah. And the next day he wrote me and he's like, I'm so sorry for a blah, blah, blah. That's what happens. I'm like, hey, look, the great news is, it's all out there now. We know what's in your heart. Now you can deal with it. And he was like, I'm so ashamed. I'm like, just don't be ashamed. Just deal with it. And I think sometimes the pastors, I couldn't cut it. Well, it, it revealed something about you. You now know. And so don't be ashamed of it. Deal with it. So how, how, do, you, how do you tell pastors to deal with it, right? Because I'm sure that there's a lot of people listening right now who are like, they're having a hard time looking for, they're having a hard time you know, putting everything, yeah. I mean, what's that, what's that first step that somebody can take to, um, to acknowledge that they're in a season of change and, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I mean, they might see the turning point, but it, it feels like a, a thousand pound elephant sitting on their chest. Well, okay. So wow, there's a rabbit hole here. Cause I mean, we could talk about this for an hour because yeah, I've worked with I, a lot I, of, I got, I got nothing but time and you're, you're snowed in. Right, so let's right. go. You can, you can edit out whatever is boring, but uh, for, okay, I literally just this week has been working with a pastor. He had to shut his church down. It never recovered from COVID. He's devastated because he's back doing a job that was what he was doing before he started pastoring. And to, to him, it's humiliating. And first of all, I am just increasingly convinced God does not need us. Amen. Like, he just brings us in on it just for his joy and for our fulfillment. He does not need us, but he's way more concerned about what he's doing in the individual. Uh, I, I just, I mean, that's why I see God waste. God wastes so much money. It's just insane how much money he wastes. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Like, I'm trying to save him money and he just doesn't seem to care, right? Like, but he's more worried about what he's doing in the individual. And I think we forget that sometimes. And we, we elevate this, this role of pastor. And so my first statement would be this. Do not get your identity from what you do. Mm. And this is for anybody. And a lot of pastors, they get their identity from what they do, and then it's taken from them, and they're devastated. And, and, and they're missing the point. So a good friend of mine, I was coaching him through this recently, and during COVID, he stepped aside from, from ministry, and he went, went into real estate. And man, there's a lot of pastors doing that, going into real estate. I think my dad and I did a podcast about that, about pastors going into real estate. Uh, because it's a, you know, it's a low barrier for entry. It's quick to get in. But he said, you know, I'm so glad you encouraged me that it's not a failure to step out of ministry. And I say ministry in air quotes because everybody does ministry, but it's a church. I really want to ask him to do is step out of his church job Hmm. because he said, I got out before I got bitter. 
But what happens with a lot of pastors, and, and there's an interesting, this is a really interesting trend right now. Peter Zion talks about this. The baby boomers are the, the generation that has lived longest in American history ever, and they've needed more money to keep their style of life. So they've stayed in their roles for a much, much longer time. And what happened is they ended up passing over a generation, guys like me. And so guys like in our 40s, we probably should have been taking over about five to seven years ago for the baby boomers. Yeah. But most of us are like, I'm not sitting around waiting for this anymore to be in senior leadership as pastors. So they checked out and did something else. This is an example of my friend. He went into real estate right when he's ready to do ministry, I think at his peak, right? But the boomers held on too long. And so now the weird trend that the church is seeing is this is so weird. I hear this so much. I'm working with a guy right now who's doing a doctoral dissertation on this. The boomers are looking to the people that are like in their 40s to take over. I think they're the Xers. Is that what we are? And uh, I'm assuming we're about the same age as me. I don't know. Yep. Yep. They're looking for us to take over. And most of us have checked out and gone and done our own thing. We're running our podcasts. We've got our own parachurch ministry. And they're like, okay, it's time for y'all to take over. Like, no, we're doing our own thing. So they're having to look to the millennials and the mental and the framework the millennials have versus the boomers is so different Mm -hmm. that craziness is about to ensue. So they're like, we're going to hand it off to this young millennial. And the way the millennial starts running things, the boomer goes back and says, no, 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 you can't do it that way. And so they get angry and frustrated and it's just really complicated things. So the people in their forties that probably should be taken over have checked out. The millennials are ready to go. They're like, let's do it. Let's take over. But what the boomers are expecting from them is so different, different than what they think how church should be run. So it's a very interesting dynamic. So a lot of millennials get into the role either get canned very quickly by the board of boomers who are like, that's not how you're supposed to run things. And they're like, well, you said you wanted change. That's why you brought me on. Yeah, but not that kind of change. (laughs) We want, you know. So it's a very tricky thing because you have this demographic issue too where the baby boomers, they just held, I I hate to say it this way, they held on to power, leadership, not power, but leadership too long. And the the next group behind them, they literally had to skip over a generation mm-hmm. because we went and started doing our own thing. You'll see that trend all over. I was talking to a church in Washington just this week, and they said they're trying to correct that error, but they can't find anybody that wants to take over at this point. Well, so <laughs> so so th- this is a conversation I have with some of my peers, right? Because they're like, I don't know that I ever want to go back to church because we have so much freedom not being in church, right? And yeah, so, yeah. Like, and you're like, well, I get to serve the Lord. I get to do what I want. I get to create all this content. I, I don't have to, I'm, you know, I don't have to take that kind of, um, uh, some of those harder requests that come from being, a lead pastor and you know there's a obviously there's a burden with leadership and you know when you're I mean how many how many employees do you have working for you it's just me and I want it that way right that's exactly I had, that's, yeah that's exactly right. I had some people for a while but I'm like I don't want to be in charge of anybody man it's a horrible idea <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> God tell you what to write about? Because I, I, I see this very vast, diverse kind of places where you've got your hand in. How, how did you know that connecting the dots was the next right thing to write? Um, most of it's just from listening to people. Mm. You know, as a counselor, I have a master's degree in counselor, uh, counseling. I, I just spend hours listening to people. And if you really listen, you know, here's a, here's a truth of counseling. And this sounds so judgmental, but it's true. People will tell you pretty much everything you need to know about them in about five minutes if you'll just listen. Yeah. Now, 
there's nuance and layers of complexity, but the core comes out in about the first five minutes if you're a listening ear. So I just listen and one of the, the, one of the struggles I heard over and over from people is my faith, man. Like, I feel like I'm losing my faith. And they're not actually losing their faith. What's happened is they're in the stage of the journey called the dark cave. John of the Cross called it the dark night of the soul, where all of a sudden you have to enter the dark cave empty-handed and alone. Hmm. And God forces you to look at some things. Um, Carl Jung says, the thing we need most will be found where we least want to leave. look, right? Uh, where God kind of forces us to, to release all of the protections we had around us, our identity from what we do, what we have. And then we face off with God and we, we sometimes emerge going, I don't know if I have the same kind of faith, but it's just not a simple faith anymore. It's a new layer of complexity and depth in your faith. Um, and so I just kept hearing that from people and I'm like, you're not losing your faith. This is part of the journey of becoming all that God intends you to be. And, and you're, you're probably realizing maybe for the first time that the God you serve has actually been something you created in your mind, not the real God. Mm. So, and it doesn't mean your faith wasn't valid, right? But it's learning deeper and deeper layers of who God is. He's infinitely complex. Um, was it St. Augustine said, if he's knowable, if it's knowable, it's not God, right? And there is a knowability to God. That's the paradox of our faith, right? There's a knowability to God, but there's this vast unknowability of God where you're just always going, it's back to that Job question, like where Job at the end, is, he's like, God's like, let me start asking you some questions, Job. Where were you when I formed Leviathan? Where were you when I plunged the depth? And Job's like, all right, I'm, I'm out. You win. I'll go with, you know, as King David says, I, my heart is not proud. I have not concerned myself with things too great and marvelous for my understanding. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to follow you. Right. Walking through the haze. I'm going to trust you in that. So mostly, again, another long answer, just listening to people. And that was the thing I heard a lot of people is they're like, did I miss God? Did I do something wrong? I'm like, no, this is part of the pattern of his work. Yeah, I, I think often that I, I want to know God, but I don't want a God that I understand. You know, if God fits That's into so my true. box, we're all in big trouble. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Very um, true. I, I, I do want to talk about your podcast with your dad. I, 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 as I was getting to know your story a little bit, um, you and your dad have, have created this rhythm of podcasting. Um, so two questions. What brought you guys to that conclusion? And uh, what have you learned about your dad as an adult um, podcasting with him that you didn't know as a child? What I've learned about my dad is, um, you know, you talk about privilege. Yeah. You know, that's the hot word right now. I have ridiculous privilege having had a father. He's the most man. He's the person who's most like Jesus that I know. Mm. Um, that is the one thing that will just forever be true about my dad. Uh, there's so many things that he taught me that I, I didn't even realize. And a lot of what our podcast is, is just unpacking things I learned from him that I didn't even realize I learned from him. A lot of people are like, wow, you know, so much wisdom in your books. I'm like, well, about 97% of it is my dad. <laughs> I've, just, I've just repackaged it in my brain the way, I, the way I do it. But it's stuff I learned from him and just watching. More than anything, I watched him. Um, and it was his courage. You know, he moved us to Central America in the middle of a civil war. Uh, not generally the wisest decision, but he knew God was calling us. It was the best thing that could have happened for us. But I've just watched him do that. I've watched him live humbly. 
um, he's always open to the fact that he may not know something. And that's a hump. Yeah, so many dads, you know, I'm right, you're wrong. And, and dad would actually apologize to me. You yeah. know, hey, I got that one wrong. I got that one wrong. And, and people think that shows weakness, but it actually showed me my dad is freaking awesome. And I mean, here I am at 45. He's still my favorite person to hang out with besides my wife. Um, so much so we do a podcast together. So uh, you have a little girl, seven-year-old. Um, I, I love to steal good practices for discipling the next generation. And it, it's a interesting kind of thought process, right? You, you've got a dad who, um, who is the living example of Jesus in the world for you. Um, how are you doing that for your daughter? All right. So this is going to get me in trouble. I think one of the number one keys, so there's stuff I do, right? Right. But she spends eight hours a day is at school. Mm-hmm. And I heard, I heard, I think it was Vody Bauckham say a few years ago, don't send your kids to Caesar and wonder why they're coming back as Romans. Okay. I think Christian education is so, so, so important because that reinforces what I'm already teaching at home. And I just see so many parents and man, they do the thing at home, but then they send their kids off to the wolves and not, listen, not all public education is wolves, but if you're not acutely attuned to what's being taught to your kid, um, I, I think Christian education is, is the way you need to go um, and because it, it's a holistic approach. I was in Christian education my whole life. I was either homeschooled or at a Christian school. And there's just only so much you can teach yeah. at home and then there's the influence at school and if they're not getting the bible pumped into them you know people all the time are like how do you know so much bible i'm like because i was forced to memorize it at school i to graduate high school i had to quote the whole book of philippians man like and and i'll be preaching sometimes and a verse will come out i'm like wow i haven't thought about that one in a while but if it's in there your word if i hid in my heart that i might not sin against you if it's in there it will come out mm-hmm. right and there's only so much memorization I can do with her at home. There's only so much Bible reading we can do at home. I mean, there's at some point you just got to turn on Bluey, which is the hot show for seven-year-olds right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I can't do any more discipleship. You can watch Bluey. Uh, but, but then there comes a point, and watching what they watch on TV, like we're super strict about what she watches on TV. Um, but so much of it is just creating boundaries for them and frameworks for them to succeed. And, and that's where I'm, I'm an avid supportive like if i have to take out a second job i will do it to make sure she's in christian education her entire upbringing and i know that gets hard for some some parents we got multiple kids um but most christian schools they have a a cap on that stuff anyways so it's funny i'm like i'm offloading it on christian education but i i think you have to live it first of all your kid sees when you're not living it you know but when you live it and then you reinforce it with Christian education. I think that's the key discipleship model, which fits in again with that thing we talked about earlier in the conversation where the kids that stay in the church had another mentor besides their parents before they were age 16 that walked along with them. Yeah, I, I see that idea about partnership there was, is really what you're saying is that you need, you need a partner yeah. for eight hours a day instead of someone who could be an adversary. And, you know, you just kind of started with that same base point of... Um, of what that exactly. looks like. Um, I, I, speaking of partners, I, I do want to ask about your marriage just a little bit because you, you such a, um, you're very in your post, right? You're very uplifting to your, your wife's blessing for all the adventures and all the things that you do. How, how did you get to a place that is such a, um, 
well, it feels like you're doing ministry together, even though you're, she's not always with you on the trips or, you, you know, I, you guys are clearly united in a, in a vision and mission for what you guys are called to. I, I think there's probably somebody listening right now who wants that in their marriage. What, what words yeah. of wisdom do you have for him? Well, first of all, um, quick story. Uh, when we were engaged, uh, when my brother, when my sister and her and my future brother-in-law were engaged, they were just curious uh, how compatible they were. So they both got on eHarmony to see if it would match them up. And it matched them up. Oh, wow. And they're like, we're perfectly compatible. You know, and eHarmony uses the Myers-Briggs profile. It's a very consistent, internally consistent thing. So I was like, Emily, let's try that. So she filled it out. She filled out. She didn't want to do it. She's like, this is stupid. I'm like, come on, let's see. Let's see if it's yours. I don't see. And I, I spent the hour to fill out the form. And then I got this screen that popped up and it said, essentially, it said, we're sure you're a really nice person, but there's nobody in our database for you. So I got rejected by eHarmony. So my point is this. Apparently, we're very incompatible. <laughs> we're like, the, we're the total opposites. But the, the core thing is we're going to serve God. And her father modeled this for her as well. We're going to serve God no matter what it costs us. Mm. Um, that's what unites us. Uh, when we moved out here to this retreat center, we downsized. Um, we're living in a, in a tiny home right now. But she was so passionate about this vision too. And I didn't just push it forward. Um, I waited for God to speak to her directly, and he does. And um, So all that to say is, I don't think it, I, I think it has more to do with a unified vision around what you're trying to accomplish for the kingdom. Um, and we have that same vision. Now, we're total opposites on everything we like. I like documentaries. She likes like crazy I can't handle the shows she watches. They're too intense. Um, she, I like to read for a break. She, she, well, she likes to read too, but she likes to read fiction, right? So we're total opposites, but we're unified around what we're, 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 we feel called to do. We've also learned there's just certain stuff we don't work together well on. Mm. We worked at a church together for a while. Did not go well. <laughs> um, that only lasted about six weeks, and I'm like, either you gotta quit or I gotta quit, because this ain't working. <laughs> so I was the worship leader, so she had to quit. But uh, it's, it, it's well, other, another thing I've, I've learned too with us is, and this is some people do not like it when I say this, so I have to qualify what I'm about to say. You have to learn to fight well. Yeah. Jordan, Jordan Peterson says, contend with one another. That's probably a better word, because a lot of people in their mind when they hear fight, it's like a negative connotation. But Emily and I, we, we, we are constantly, it feels like constantly in conflict, but there's a couple terms we have before the conflict. One of them is we're never getting divorced. Like the D word is not an option. Sure. We don't even say it. We don't even say the word. It's a boundary. You don't even say that. You don't even threaten to leave. If we get in a fight, you don't leave the house. Now you may go to the other side of the house for a while, uh, so we, we have some terms when we have disagreements and we disagree all the time, man. I, one of the things in counseling I've seen with the marriages that blow up, mm -hmm. like literally just blow up is they're like, we never fought. I'm like, that's your problem. You had all this stuff sitting under the surface and you thought peace was compliance and backing down. That's not peace. Peace is wrestling together. Well, rubbing, bumping up against each other. Wounds from a friend can be trusted and then coming to an agreement in the middle. Otherwise, it's just tyranny. 
the stronger personality overpowering the weaker. Uh, the person that thinks they're bringing peace by just backing down. So I tell people all the time, and they don't like this. I, I wrote a blog about it, and I wrote people, and they're like, this sounds like you're promoting communism in the marriage, where there has to be a thesis, and then an antithesis, and then an overthrowing of the powers that be. I'm like, yeah, you're taking it way too far, man. The fact is, there, there does have to be conflict. And the marriages that I've seen, I was just talking to a guy last week. He's like, dude, we never fought. I'm like, I'm sorry, that's your problem. You mm. never fought. So resentment was building. Resentment wasn't building for you because apparently you were the guy that was winning every time. But resentment was building for her. Uh, so in our marriage, one of the things we always, people don't like it, but that's our best advice is learn to fight well and fight fair. Yeah. And what I mean by fight is you don't swing punches, you don't hit, you don't use harsh, vindictive, cutting words, but you stand your ground on what you feel and then let them state their ground and then you come to an agreement in the middle. And sometimes that requires maybe a little bit of elevated volume, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I look, I, I'm a, we, we have a lot of rules for fighting too. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's language that I'm super familiar with. One, one of ours is, um, even, even in the midst of our biggest fights, I've never slept in on the couch and we always yes. sleep in the bed together. Right. And even That's when we're good. mad, we still pray over each other at night before we go to bed. And like some of those, like, these are, are, these are non-negotiable disciplines, no matter how much. Now, sometimes the prayer is, dear Lord, please make my husband less stupid. But like, we're praying, right. we're praying, we're in it, we're in it. And What's we're there, right? like, uh, so no, she, she would never, I mean, it's not name calling, you know what I mean? But like, it's, it's a, healthy, yeah. What's that prayer space. of Paul? Uh, Lord, I find anything we, we disagree, help her realize she's wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, you know, kind of as we come to the end of our time together, I, I do want to ask, like, as this book gets out into the world, uh, my podcast family loves to pray. W what can we pray alongside you as this book gets into the hands of, of um, so many different people? So one of my prayers for it, and I didn't realize this was my prayer until the first editor sent it back to me. And she reads a lot of books and she wrote back and she goes, I don't say this about books but I felt pastored by this book. Mm. And that's my prayer is that, <clears throat> I know there are a lot of people that, man, there's just a lot of craziness going on in the world right now. And a lot of people are questioning their faith. Uh, my prayer is that a lot of people through this will get some clarity on the fact that God has really been leading them and they didn't even realize it. He hasn't abandoned them. You're not that coat that because you live in Texas, you know, you never use it. And then God opens the closet one day and it's like, Oh, I forgot you're still in there. That great coat. Now, you're not forgotten by God. He's divinely orchestrating behind the scenes everything in your life. And there are dark seasons, there are quiet seasons, there are challenging seasons, but he has not forgotten you. And I just want people to see that, that when you look back, as it says in Revelation, we will stand before him and bow and say, true and just are your ways. Uh, my prayer is that people see that God really has been working all things together for the good of those who love him. And yeah, that's, that's my prayer through it. I, I want it to get into the hands of people who maybe feel forgotten by God, maybe feel like they made a mistake and this is why their life is taking the turn it's taken right now. And, and then for those that have made a mistake and realize this is why life is taking the turn, realize it's not beyond God's capacity yeah. to turn it around. So pa I, I really want it to be a pastoring book, which is funny because I don't think of myself as very pastoral, but I feel like that's the goal of the book. Praise God. Praise God. 
Uh, okay, one more question for you, but before I ask it, I know that my listeners are going to want to learn all things about what God is doing in and through you and about future books and all the things. Where's the best place to stay in tune with what God is, is doing in your ministry? Well, I, mean, I have my Monday morning rantings. Every Monday I send out an email. You can sign up for that at joelmalm.com, J-O-E-L-M-A-L-M.com. And there's a little pop-up thing, the classic pop-up. Just put that in there and you'll get an email from me every Monday. Uh, just stuff I've been thinking about, stuff I'm working through in life. Um, and then also that has a bunch of messages I've given, the books I've written, and stuff like that. Uh, there's also a ton of version devotionals I've written. So I've got three more that are going live next month oh, wow. based, on the, uh, based on the Connecting the Dots book. So if you go to the version Bible app, just put in my name, J-O-E-L-M-A-L-M, it'll pull up all the different devos that I've written. And uh, those have gotten quite a bit of traction. So Love that. Love that. Okay, last question I love to ask people. It's an advice question. I'm going to ask you to go back and give yourself one piece of advice, um, except I get to name the season of life that you're in when you give that younger version of you the advice. And so I, I want okay. to take you back to your very, um, the end of your very first uh, expedition, uh, right? Where you just got done doing this massive trip, life-changing. If you could sit down and that younger version of yourself, sit knee to knee with him, hold his hands, look him in the eyes, yes. know, knowing everything that you know now, what's the one piece of advice you're going to give him? <laughs> It's the same advice I tell my wife. I would have given this to me, to me up until about five years ago. It's the same piece of advice. Chill out, dude. <laughs> like, I was so uptight, so determined to prove myself, so determined to show the world I had something to offer. And I look back and I'm like, chill out. Enjoy this. Yeah. So much of it, I think I only enjoyed about 50% of it because I was obsessed with Got to prove, got to prove. So it's the same advice I would have given myself up until about five years ago. Chill out, dude. Well, uh, bonus question, what changed five years ago? How much time you have left on the podcast? As much as we need. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I had this epiphany about five years ago. Um, we were walking around. Uh, I had built this successful coaching business and we're walking around this park pushing our daughter in the middle of a Monday and I'm like, man, isn't life good? I've, I don't have to be at work. I can, you know, da-da-da. And, and she turned to me and she's like, maybe, but I feel really alone. And I was like, alone? What? How dare you feel alone? Like, I work from home. I did this for you. She's like, yeah, but you're always working. I'm like, I, I work from home. <laughs> So I started realizing that I had set, and this is, the, I'll put them time together in a second. I started realizing that I had set some arbitrary goals for myself in, the tw in my 20s mm. um, based on who I was then. But a bunch of new priorities had showed up between my 20s and, and age 40. And I had not adjusted my goals accordingly. And I didn't even know myself in my 20s. I didn't even know what I wanted. And I was tyrannizing myself over goals I had set for myself in the 20s that I had not achieved on the time frame I had achieved. And so I had to stop and look and go, what do I really want? And as I started looking back at the stuff, the standards I had been holding myself to in my 20s, I didn't even want half those things anymore. Um, you know, I realized I don't like being gone 
speaking more than about 12 uh, weekends a year. I just don't like it. And in my mind, I would be out speaking 50 weekends a year. And I'm like, I don't even like that. I thought I would have a bunch of staff and employees. I don't even like that. I thought I would have, uh, there was just all these things I'd set for myself that I, I was tyrannizing myself over goals that were old Joel and life had changed. Some new values had showed up. I was married now. Um, I had a child now. I discovered I'm a writer now, which takes a lot of time. Writing books takes a lot of time. Um, and all these goals I had set for myself in my 20s, they, they, I, had not, I had not adjusted my value system as the bottom line. Yeah. And uh, that's what changed. And I realized so much of what I had wanted back then was either one put upon me, people being like, you have so much potential. And so I figured out in my mind what that potential meant and for me to reach that potential, what it meant. And I was driving myself to that, but it was impossible what I was asking of myself. And it wasn't even in line with what I really wanted now that I had a wife, a child. Um, I found out I like working for myself. I always thought I wanted to lead a large organization. And so in my mind, I was falling short of my own goals because I wasn't leading a large organization, but I realized I hate being in charge of stuff. Like, I like my expeditions because they're one and done, man. You lead people up a mountain, now get out of my face, go home, enjoy your life. <laughs> and then I go another. So that's what happened about five years ago. And I started realizing what I really value is a lot of free time. So people write me and they're like, you must be super busy. I'm like, not generally. Right now I am because I got a lot of podcast interviews and stuff for the book. But generally, I don't. I work about two hours a day and then the rest of the time I think. Um, and I like it that way. Yeah. Uh, and then I work on the weekends really hard. I speak at churches and stuff. So anyways, that, that's the long version again. My answers are always long, sorry. Of um, kind of what changed about five years ago is I started realizing I need to adjust my value system because it's a moving target. There's this, you know, the story with Cain and Abel. You see that Cain gets mad when God doesn't accept his sacrifice. And Cain goes, and God goes, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, it will go right with you. If you do not, sin is crouching at your door, but you must rule over it. Mm. And um, sin is crouching at your door. That word sin, chata, it's a, it's a archery term. It means you, you miss the target. And mm. I think what he's saying to, to Cain is, yeah, you made a sacrifice, but it's not a sacrifice I valued. And you don't get credit unless it's a sacrifice God values. And... Then we, and what, what we find a lot of times in our life is that we get angry and frustrated with life, but it's because we're making the wrong sacrifice. And you can live a virtuous life, but still make the wrong sacrifice. And when you do, you get the same results as actual sin, regret, remorse. Uh, and, and, and so that's where I think it's really important you establish, first of all, what is the order God wants it in? And I'm convinced the order is always God, your spouse, your kids. I mean, if you look at the biblical pattern, something always has to be sacrificed for what's most valuable. So you're always in every season of life going, what needs to be sacrificed? Yeah. Uh, at some point, maybe your dreams need to be sacrificed to raise your child. Uh, I was talking to a lady the other day. She's having massive success, massive success. And she wanted that success 20 years ago, but she felt like God told her to stay home and homeschool her children. And she did. And now it's like God's making up the time that she felt was lost. Like, I mean, she is seeing crazy success. But I think it's because she made the right sacrifice. She, God asked something from her and she made the right sacrifice. So when we make the right sacrifice, um, anger dissipates, fear dissipates. And we, but, but the, 
it's a moving target. That target you aim at is a moving target. And every season of life you have to go, what needs to be sacrificed this time right now? Right, you know, it's my adventure trips. I'm not doing as many right now. Um, you know, you always have to ask that, what needs to be sacrificed? And I think that's where I realized what I was sacrificing the wrong things. And what was actually being sacrificed was my wife. Yeah. In the middle of all that crazy success I thought I was having, we had the money, we had a lot of money. But my wife felt alone. And that's, there's no price tag you can put on that. Um, and so many guys sacrifice their families for the sake of the security they provide for their family. But it's really not the right sacrifice. And when anger shows up, you got to evaluate, am I making the right sacrifice? So that's a whole nother topic. But Whew, Okay, well, let's get back together sometime and talk about this more because this is fascinating. <laughs> all right, all right. I, I really, really valued our time today. And I'm so appreciative of your generosity and, and just the diversity of thought. And uh, thank you. Yeah, man, this, I, we don't usually go all over the place. This one went all over the place. I like it. I like it too. It was a real blessing. I told you guys, what a great dialogue with Joel. Like, I just think he has such a great perspective. I think his thought process, his, uh, the way he thinks about life is so good. So do me a favor, pick up a latest copy of his book, Connecting the Dots. And uh, if you follow him on social media, thank him for being on the podcast. That's such a, a great way to honor our guests. As always, I'm really thankful for each and every one of you. Uh, also, connect with me on Instagram. I've, I've got some using their brand new tool, the broadcast channel, if you're part of that. If you follow me, you can get access and we can talk a little bit about today's episode. So thankful for you guys. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move.